0: Well, today I'm going to be talking, I, I got a good one today. I've, I've been getting excited about this message, and uh, we're going to be talking about the power of belonging. There is so much power in belonging to something or to a people, to a church, to a group, and when you belong somewhere, uh, it brings you to life. And I believe that uh, belonging is something that we all have deep inside of us. We all have this deep urge and this deep desire. It's been ingrained inside of us to be known, to be known by someone. Not not, Not just the good things about you, but everything about you. I want everything. In order to be known by a people, in order to belong to a people, you have to be known. All of you has to be known. That's why I feel like a healthy marriage is so powerful is because my wife knows all of me, the worst parts of me included. But I know that at the end of the day, even after she's seen all the worst sides of me, I can come home and she will accept me. She will love me. I belong to her. I belong in this family because she sees all of me and still accepts me. That's what it is to, to be known and to belong. It's to be seen, all of you, to be seen and to still be loved and accepted. You know, I always had this desire growing up to belong in groups and I think every one of us at some point in our life, we've all, you know, we've all battled with this. We've all wanted to, to be accepted or belong to a group and so Uh, We do what it takes to be in that group, and I I remember in high school trying to act a little bit more like this group of people so that I could belong to that group of people, and I remember, you know, wanting to also fit in over here so I would change just a little bit the way that I dressed or the way that I talked or my interests and my likes and my dislikes because I wanted to belong into that group, and I I remember when I was in third grade, I had... uh, I was in third grade and there was a fifth grader who was picking on me, but he was one of the cool kids and I, I, I secretly wanted to belong to his group even though he was picking on me and I, I came home and I told my parents that he was picking on me and my dad gave me the best fatherly advice that any, any father could give their son, he said, son, if he's picking on you, you just need to sock him in the face, you need to hit him in the face and he'll leave you alone and I said, but dad, if I hit him in the face, then he's not going to want to be my friend. I want to belong. I have, I've always had this desire to belong to a group and, and be part of the family. And throughout life, we've all found groups. And we, we, maybe, maybe you've tried to change yourself in little ways to belong to certain groups. But you know what? When you try to change yourself to fit into a family or try to change yourself to fit into a group of people, uh, you're not really belonging because that's not really who you are. You truly belong when you are comfortable, when you can be yourself, and when you can expose everything in your life, when you can open yourself up and show people this is who I am, and they love you, and they accept you, that's when you truly belong. And it wasn't until I found belonging in the family of God that I began a journey of healing and started stepping into who God has made me to be because I surrounded myself with people who loved me regardless of my mistakes, who love me regardless of my shortcomings, of what I didn't have. I still struggle when I find out someone doesn't think highly of me, right? But I've learned to love and accept who God has made me to be. Some people, maybe you're familiar, uh, has anybody heard of Dr. Brene Brown in the room before? She's a, um, a social scientist who's dedicated over 16 years of her life to the study of shame and vulnerability and connection. And she writes about how we are all neurologically wired for connection. We've all been born with a, a, a propensity to wanna belong somewhere, to, to, to feel connected to, some, to, to people. And this is what she writes in her book, uh, Braving the Wilderness. She says, just as hunger warns us that our blood sugar is low and we need to eat, Thirst warns us that we need to drink to avoid dehydration. Pain alerts us to potential tissue damage. And loneliness tells us that we need social connection. Something as critical to our well-being as food and water. Can I make that argument this morning? That social connection, that belonging to a family, that that making connections with people is almost as essential as As food and water, we need it in our life. We cannot survive without connection. We've been physically designed for deep and meaningful relationships with others. I think that's why God told Adam in the very beginning, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. He looked at Adam who was in the garden by himself and all the animals had partners and God looked at Adam and said, Adam, you need connection. You need someone in your life. You were born to be connected to somebody else. Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Social connection is so necessary that the American Psychological Association published a study that revealed greater social connection reduced your risk of early death by 50%. Those who are more socially connected reduce their risk of early death by 50%. It's life-saving, it's life-giving when you are connected to people. I think 2020 showed us the value of connection, showed us the value of warm hugs, of an embrace, of face-to-face interaction. And though we couldn't do it for a time, it showed us the importance that we were built for this, right? There's a desire, some of you are introverts, you like staying at home, 2020 was nice for you because maybe maybe you're at home watching and you're thinking, yeah, it's still nice for me. I like being at home. Uh, Jody's in there over there going, yes, this is me. You know, uh, some some of us are 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 introverts and we like uh, we we like staying at home. We like we like isolating a little bit. But deep down, every single one of us can admit, come on, you you have people that you love to be with, whether it's your children, whether it's Your spouse, whether it's your grandkids or your best friends, we all have people that we just cannot live without. They bring life to us. We all deeply desire connection, and we all want to belong somewhere. But in order to truly experience belonging, we have to understand three things. These three things are really important when we understand belonging. The first thing is that in order to belong Somewhere you have to understand that you have a personality. I Have a personality which means I am unique But I'm also imperfect I'm unique and I'm imperfect. I don't have everything together culture has made it more difficult to find true Belonging and in order to truly belong you've got to practice something called vulnerability men I think there's some men in the room who need to practice this just a little bit more. It's hard for us, but, but to truly belong, you have to be vulnerable. Like I said, in order to truly belong, you don't shape yourself into something that you think the group is going to love and accept, right? But in order to truly belong, you become yourself. You become the true version of yourself and you enter into this group or you enter into this, this family. And I'm here to tell you that the church is supposed to be our family. It's supposed to be where we belong. It's our social connection. It's, 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 God has designed this family to give life to one another. In order to experience true connection and belonging, you have to be willing to be imperfect. You can't step into a family and, 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 and not think that, uh, that nobody is going to see your imperfections, right? Right? Because the tendency is, you know, I've seen people do this time and time again as they attend a church, and and maybe they're there for years and years, but eventually the relationships start to get a little too close, right? And, oh, people are starting to see my baggage. They're starting to see the way that I act at home. They're starting to see the way that I talk to so-and-so, and they're starting to say stuff to me about it. They're starting to call me out on it, and the tendency I think I've seen some people, they go, "Well, and instead of doing the hard work and, and entering into a deeper connection with this family, I'm going to go look for a different family. I'm going to go look for, for a, another group of people who don't see all the baggage, and I'm going to do a little bit a better job at hiding all my stuff. But true vulnerability, true belonging, is when you are able to say, "Hey, I'm imperfect." I mess up, and it's our responsibility as the family of God to love each other regardless of those imperfections, amen? Amen. When you're willing to admit that you don't have everything together, then you can begin to understand the personality that God has given you, the unique gifts and talents that only you possess. Culture is going to try to tell you that it's not good enough we compare ourselves to others and we wish we were more like other people, we start to think, I don't measure up. I don't have that ability. I don't have what it takes. I'm not gifted or talented enough. I'm not a good singer. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do that. I can't talk to this person. I'm not attractive. And we begin to make all these excuses. And society tells us that we don't measure up. We need to change ourselves in order to truly belong. We need to become a better version of ourselves if we want people to love and accept us. We, sit, we we tell ourselves if only people knew who I really was, they would they would reject me. If they only knew who I who I was, they would reject me. Let me ask you, have you ever lied about an achievement before? Have you ever tried to puff up a story or make up a story so that people would love and accept you more? Uh, maybe you're a fisherman and you get around fishermen and they start talking about their biggest catch. And you don't want you know, you to be the guy who's got the smallest fish. Oh, yes, I got one that was this big. And then the next time it turns into this big and it's this big, right? It just gets bigger and bigger every time. Why? Because you want to be accepted by that group of people. So we puff up our achievements we try to make it seem better and bigger i have a personality in order to truly belong we also have to understand that i have a people i have a people i am known accepted and valued by my people in order to truly belong we need to find a people or a tribe that really know me the real me and like i said it requires vulnerability and the courage to be imperfect. This is what your church family is for. Your church family is here to see you, to know you, and to love you with everything included. If the church can't love people through their mistakes, then what are we doing? What are we doing here? We want people to come as they are, but we want people to be changed by Jesus. And when you belong to a family especially to the family of God, you should be able to resist. You, you, you cannot be able to resist being changed by Jesus working in your life. And you know, the devil, he, he knows how powerful this family can be. He knows how powerful the family of God can be if we all looked like the first century church, if we all looked like uh, where it started, and we... And we kept Jesus at the focus of everything that we did, knowing that he's the one who brought us all together. Look around the room. There's not two of us that are the same. There's not two of us that think identically the same, but we all are united under the umbrella of Jesus, and he brought us together. The devil knows how powerful this is, so he's got a tool that he uses to keep us apart, and it's called shame. Shame. The devil uses shame to keep us away from one another. He uses shame to isolate us because he doesn't want us to engage. He doesn't want us to engage in the power of community and in the power of belonging. Scripture says that the enemy is like a a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. How many of you have ever seen a roaring lion hunting on the Discovery Channel? Has anybody ever seen this before? Who does the lion go after? The lion always goes after the one who's alone, right? The one who went away from the pack, who's straight away, and the, and the lion isolates that person and, and, and goes after the one who's been by itself. This is the tactic of the enemy. We begin to feel shame that, that I'm not good enough, that if people saw what I did or what I said or who I am on the inside or the thoughts that I have, they would want nothing to do with me, so I'm going to just stay at home. Or I'm not going to reach back out to this person. I'm not going to give them a call back. I'm not going to reply to their email. I'm just going to stay at home. I'm going to isolate. That is what the enemy wants. Now, obviously, uh, obviously, we don't have the same level of, uh, I should say, our relationships don't look the same on every level, that, that, uh, that this is your church family, but we're supposed to have layers of relationships. I'm a pretty open person, uh, and, and so I, I try. what you see is what you get most of the time, but there, uh, the people that know me best know that there's only about five people in my life that really know everything about me. There's only about five people that I've led into that inner circle that know everything about. And I think that's the way that God designed it, that there's layers of relationships. But the church family is supposed to be a relationship that is, that is accepting of who you are, is loving towards everybody. I have a people. The third thing is, is I have a place, I have ownership and responsibility over my place. To belong somewhere means that you have a role to play. You have shared ownership and shared responsibility over a place. When I'm walking through my neighborhood with my family and we see trash on the floor in our neighborhood, if it's, if it's in front of my house, yeah, I don't own the street, but this is my neighborhood, so I'm going to pick up the trash, right, because I have shared ownership and shared responsibility over my place when the when the uh, the planes crashed into the towers in 2001 I grieved for my country we grieved for our country because this was our place this is our country we have shared responsibility we have shared ownership over this place and it was a tragedy for all of us because to belong somewhere means that you have a place that you have shared ownership and, and, and responsibility there. It's easy to become self-absorbed and slip into the, oh, someone else will do it mentality, someone who's more qualified to fit that position. You know that in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42, where it says the, the, the disciples, they gathered together for the apostles' doctrine, for breaking of bread, and for fellowship. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia literally means to have participation, that they participated, that they had ownership. They had a responsibility to play in the church. And to belong somewhere means that you have a responsibility. You have participation and ownership here in the church. Some of you here today may already feel a deep sense of belonging, or perhaps God is calling you to a greater level of ownership and responsibility, and maybe there are some of you here who feel very disconnected. You feel isolated. Maybe some of you watching online, you feel disconnected and isolated, and I just want you to know that God is saying that you have a place to belong in the, in the family of God, there's a familiar story in the Bible where Jesus approaches someone who felt completely unwanted, completely disconnected, and he brings her into the family of God. So let's read together John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7, and we're going to go all the way to verse 26. Are you there with me? This is the Samaritan woman at the well. All right, verse 7. <coughs> Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus, you don't have a bucket. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water Welling up to eternal life, the woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty "'and have to keep coming here to draw water. "'He told her, go call your husband and come back. "'I have no husband,' she replied. "'Jesus said to her, you're right "'when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is you have had five husbands "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is quite true. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see that you are a prophet.' Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus takes this woman, and he extends so much compassion to her. And there's I read this story differently now than I used to read it because I used to read this story and I used to have very little sympathy for this woman because of her loose, her loose living, her promiscuous lifestyle. And I, I used to think, oh, she did this to herself, right? This was her fault. She's, she made her bed. Now she's got to sleep in it, right? It was this very, uh, un, uh, very not compassionate view. And now I read this story completely different because this woman has so many things against her. She has so many things against her that's keeping her disconnected and that's keeping her isolated. First of all, she's drawing water. She's coming to the well in the middle of the day usually women in the first century would go together in the, in the cool of the morning, and they would draw water from the well in the cool of the morning together. Uh, but this woman is, is isolating herself. She doesn't want anything to do with other women, and so she's going out in the heat of the afternoon and drawing water by herself, and Jesus comes to her in the heat of the afternoon and begins a conversation with her. The first thing that she has against her is she's a Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews, they did not get together. They did not like each other. Because in First Kings 12, Israel is divided into two fragments, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom invited pagan worship and idolatry into their land. And they were eventually invaded by Assyria. And some Israelites scattered and were replaced by pagans from other lands. And those pagans began to marry And breed with Jews, which resulted in a nation of half-breeds known as Samaritans, and they were detested by the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with one another. And so the first thing she has against her is she's a Samaritan. The second thing that she has against her is that she's a woman. And the disciples even said, in verse twenty-seven, right right after where we left off, the, the, the the disciples show up and they catch Jesus talking to her, and the first thing they say is, "Why are you talking with a woman?" Why are you talking with a woman? Because it was unacceptable in the first century for a man to associate with, with women and to talk to a woman. And so Jesus is not only breaking the, 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 the bounds or, or the, the barrier of the fact that she's a Samaritan, but he's also talking to a woman. And the third thing that she has against her is she's guilty of sexual immorality. But she's not sinned alone. In those days, I don't know if you knew this or if you've caught this when you've read this, this story, but, but uh, men were allowed to, d- to divorce their wives, but women were not allowed to divorce their husbands. So this woman, if she had been divorced five times, she had been divorced by five different men. And the man that she is currently with won't even marry her, doesn't even want to be with her. She's been passed around by a male population in her town. And the person that she's living with now doesn't even want to be married with her. So to recap, this woman is hated for many by being a Samaritan. There's a political divide right there. There's a social divide because she's disregarded and overlooked because she's a woman. And she's been rejected and divorced by five different husbands. And the man She's with, won't even marry her. There's a spiritual divide or a sin divide right there. And Jesus breaks through all these divides and says, you have a place. You belong to a family. You belong to the family of God. You are loved, you are accepted, and even though you've been rejected by a handful of people in your town and the woman, the women won't even come to draw water with you, the man you're with now won't even marry you, even though you're rejected by others, you will not be rejected by your Messiah. You will not be rejected by the family of God and by me. Jesus reaches past all of these barriers and has this deep and meaningful connection with her. Did you know that Jesus did this for you? He did this for all of us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us. This story is a small picture of what he did for you and I. He uses this as an example to show his disciples how to treat people. And we need to follow his example and do the same in our lives. Can I tell you something that you probably already know? Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, he doesn't belong to any political party because he rules over a different kingdom. You aren't saved because you belong to a political party. You're saved because a heavenly father has graciously adopted you into his family. We are here together, not because we all believe the same thing politically. We're here together because we are under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. We have a father, and he showed us, he modeled for us what a family of God is supposed to look like, what it looks like to belong We've been brought into a family that we did nothing to deserve and God is inviting you today to be part of expanding this family. It is our job to expand this family, to, to invite people to join this family, to be a part of this family and to experience the love and the acceptance and the joy of belonging to a people and belonging to a place and being able to tell people, hey, you can come and we are going to love you because you were made in the image of God. We affirm who you are, your, hum, your humanity, that God made you in his image, that he loves every single part of you. We have an opportunity to do this in our world. God put three things in my heart this morning that I believe that we as a church need to start practicing. If we, ha- if we don't do these things already, the first thing that we can start practicing is we all need to reach back. We all need to reach back. What do I mean? If you have a strong sense of connection and a strong sense of belonging already, when you reach out to a friend and you text them or you call them and they don't get back to you, it's okay. Right? You know that they're probably busy. You know, they'll get back to me some other time. You feel you feel okay. But if you are starving for affection. If you're starving for a family and you're starving for belonging and you reach out to somebody and they never get back to you, it's devastating because because they're your lifeline. They are throwing a lifeline to you and it is our job to reach back. When somebody reaches out to you and asks for coffee or for a phone call or a Zoom call, whatever it is, or, or if they want to hang out, if somebody reaches out to you, reach back. Reach back. We don't know the condition that people are in. They may be starving. They may be lonely. They might need that connection. And we need to reach back. We need to reach back. When people reach out, reach back. The second thing is, is that we can practice moving in. We need to move in. People are hard to hate up close. They're hard to hate up close. We can get on Facebook and we can see what other people are posting, even people in our church, and go, oh, I can't believe that person from my church is saying that. Man, well, where's my Bible? I'm going to come up with 12 reasons why they're wrong you're wrong here, you're wrong here, and John so-and-so, Matthew, James 5 says this, and we just go at them, and and we try to pick apart their argument, and we try to tell them what a horrible person they're being. I can't believe you would post that. That is so anti-God. That's so this. And we get ugly. We get ugly. Sometimes, I, I tell you, sometimes I i'll see a facebook thread coming and man i've seen him on our our uh, our local ifreda you know you know you're from ifreda when facebook page i'll i'll see somebody post something and i'll just this is going to be really heated and i'll go grab a a thing of popcorn and i'll just watch i watch to see if any of you are posting on there yes <laughs> you're going to get an email <laughs> And I go, oh, don't do it, church. Don't, don't engage. Don't engage. Don't say anything. But you know what? It's easy to hate people from afar. We get ugly when we're not face-to-face with somebody. For some reason, it makes us feel like we're protected on the other side of the screen. And so we don't consider that there's an actual human, an actual heart on the other end of this screen. Who deeply thinks about things, who loves God as well, probably, right? It's really hard to hate people up close. When you move in and when you ask people out to coffee, when you have face to face conversations with people, it's hard to hate people up close. Matthew 5, 44 it says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then it goes on to say this If you love those who love you, what, will, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's Matthew saying? He's saying, hey, church, it is your job to show an extreme amount of love. The the world is not going to know that you are the family of God if you aren't going to showcase his love for people. The world needs to see us love first. Just as Jesus did it for us, the world needs to see the church love. And we come up with excuses. Yeah, but but they're they're involved in this and they're saying this and you know like we don't really want bring we don't want to bring that into our church right listen when you bring just because they're coming into our church doesn't mean we're 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 loving that person that we're affirming their humanity God has made all of us in, in his image. He's made every single person in his image, and it is our job to love with such extreme love that the world goes, wow, how do you do that? Do you, do you think the world is saying that about the church right now? Do you think the world is saying, wow, how does the church love so well? I think the church now is, is known more for the things that we hate, the things that we're against, rather than the things that we're for and the things that we love. I want to be a church that is known for our love for people and our love for Jesus. And I want our community to look at this church and say, how do you love so well? Move in. The last thing is be present. Be present. We live in a world of false connection. We have thousands of friends well, hundreds of friends on Facebook, maybe thousands if you're lucky. And at any moment, we can have a friend on the phone from across the world. That's the world that we live in. But there are recent studies that have connected a growing, a growing trend in depression with the rise of social media. We think we have relationships, but we don't. We think we have connection, but we don't. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, let us consider that we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together. Be present. Make the effort. I know for some of those watching online, you have reasons To to be home and and I can think of, I know a handful of people who are watching online who still are engaged and they're still reaching out to people and they're still calling me and we're still having conversations and, and email conversations and I just want to say thank you for staying engaged and staying connected. I know that this has been a difficult season watching through the camera, and I know that many of you wish to be here and to be present with us, but you can't, and I just wanna say uh, thank you for staying engaged. Thank you for staying connected. I pray that, uh, I pray that shortly we can all be together, and I pray that, that soon enough Um, Those of you who need to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. You start coming back to church and and we can start being a family together once again. Be present. Be present. A research paper that was done a couple years ago by the Psychological Assessment reads this Collective assembly is more than just people coming together to distract themselves from life by watching a game or a concert or a play or coming to church. Instead, it's an opportunity to feel connected to something bigger than oneself. It's an opportunity to feel joy, social connection, meaning, and peace. There's something bigger. God knew what he was doing when he designed this family. He knew that we needed each other. Not just just for pats on the back. We need each other for peace and for joy. For wisdom. I need you to keep me wise. I do. I need you to be praying for my peace. I need you to show me what it looks like to be a wonderful husband and a wonderful father. We're we're a family because God put us together. Here's a here's one, one thing I wanted to say about. About um, intimacy with one another there, There's a thing I think that Is sometimes dangerous in the church And it's called common enemy intimacy And common enemy intimacy is a lie It's when you get together with somebody And the only thing that you have in common are the thing that Is the thing that you hate Or the person that you hate So you come together And you start gossiping about somebody Or, or talking bad about something And that's called common Common enemy intimacy, and that that is a lie. If we're truly, uh, if if you, excuse me, you aren't truly connected, if the only thing you have in common are the things that you hate, true belonging is experienced when you share a mission together, when you share something that you love together. And when you belong somewhere, you share a mission together. You move forward in a mission, in an objective together. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna close in just a moment. Mary, can I ask you to come up and, and play a little bit? I want to pray for this family, this family of God, and, and uh, I, I I would ask, would you all bow your head and bow your heads and close your eyes? And I wanna invite the Holy Spirit to come and and what I wanna ask him to do is I want a greater capacity to love. I want more compassion, because we all have limitations of being human, and we all have limitations in our love, but Jesus had no limitations in his love. He had no bounds, and I want to love like that, but sometimes I don't know how. Sometimes I don't know how to forgive. I think that there might be some wounds in this room. There might be some hurt. And if you're here and you are hurt by somebody that you know you should be close with or, or maybe somebody has said something to you and it's been festering in the background, I just, this morning, I, I, wanna, I want us to forgive together. I want us to practice forgiveness together and, and to move forward. So, Father, I, I pray right now, God, I ask your Holy Spirit would come in this place and would begin to Bring an understanding and a grace, a grace for forgiveness in this room. Jesus, we thank you that you first forgave us when we were your enemy. We were working against you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you forgave us, and I ask that you would give us the capacity and the desire to forgive those who have wounded us and hurt us. Just right now, for about ten seconds, just put that that name of that person that wounded you or hurt you. Put the name of that person in your mind. If that person is, if that person's in your life and is accessible, maybe maybe today's the day where you. Or you have a conversation with them and you're honest and you just say, listen, you said something to me that hurt, but I want you to know that I forgive you. I want to move forward with you in relationship. If you have somebody in your mind, would you just whisper, I forgive you? God, I thank you for your grace and your goodness in this place. Jesus, I pray for a new capacity to love, a new capacity to... Uh, to seek people out to invite them into this family let us be a church who really demonstrates what it's like to love in Jesus name we thank you Lord in your name we pray amen church would you stand with me do we have those roses ready out there moms we want you to know that we got you some roses so on your way out of the door. Grab a rose. Happy Mother's Day. We love you so much, and we'll see you next week.